Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. We're Knee Deep in Tech. This is episode 46, recorded on the 31st of August, 2018. I did it the right way. (laughs) Well done. Yay. Go me. It is a Friday, so you never know what might happen. Yeah, and I'm a bit tired. I just arrived from Edinburgh. You just flew in from Edinburgh. Yeah, uh, I've spent... Two and a half days in Scotland, mm-hmm. attending Glasgow Azure User Group and Tech UG, so Tech User Group, which we'll get back to. Cool. Okay, I'll kick this episode off by talking about Power BI. That is yep. a, a dear uh, thing of mine. I am... Not a moose thingy? No, it is not a moose, it is a deer. deer. I will have to spank you for that one. <laughs> Anyhow, I, um, I've i been running into an issue and I've been asked a couple of times one thing, and that is how to handle custom date formats yep. in Power BI. And especially in, in Sweden, we have a date format that Power BI does not accept as a, a date format. That's the uh, YYYYMMDD. So, for instance, 2018. <laughs> Can you do that one more time? Why, 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 MMDD? Happy Thank now? you. Yes, very. 2018 05 uh, 07 for the, the 7th of May 2018. Yep. So, what happens is when you try to get Power BI to accept that as a date format, it's going to just say no and uh, be, be whiny. So, how do you solve that? Well, if this had been, say, SQL Server, I just had told SQL Server that this is a string on a specific format, and these are the constituent parts of the date. And SQL Server would say, eh, okay, whatever. Yep. But Power BI does not have this kind of custom function. It's still a young product. It will learn in time. Well, it is a young product-ish, but this is a kind of simple thing to fix. So just do it, guys. So there are a few ways to do it. You can do it the clunky way that I decided to blog because that's the um, very, very quick version in where you basically just chop the date up and put it back together with dashes in between. Yep. And then Power BI has no issues at all excepting the fact that this is a date and everybody's happy. But after writing that um, blog post... I stumbled upon a much, much better way to do this. And that is by using a, um, a Power Query function. Lukas Lutter has written a very, very nice blog post about this. So that's the nice way of doing things. Mine yep. is the um, more direct and clunky way. Yep. But anyways, it's up on your blog. It is up on my blog since a few days. Yep. And I can continue with Power BI. Please do. Because I've been spending quite some time working with data uh, from um, both Colada and Statistiska Centralbyrån. So there are two. Colada is the the, um, municipality and um, county board is the English word for Landsting. Ah, yep. So county boards and municipalities, they put in data, for instance, how many teachers there are per student in a specific area of 
um, of the municipality on, on one specific school or such. These KPIs can be accessed through an API, which is based on a REST API. And REST APIs can give you stuff in many different forms. And while Kulala is just straightforward um, JSON, you can do some quite interesting things with the data from SCVIA, Statistica Centrale Bureau. And I stumbled upon a, uh, a blog of Eric Svensson, who is the uh, manager of the Power BI user group in Denmark, where he goes through some pretty nifty ways of combining an actual JSON query with some Power Query in Power BI. So you don't need to do the whole um, filtering thing inside of Power BI. I'll have a link to that one in the show notes as well. I think we at some we, we actually have an episode called Department of Numbers. Yep. Which were my horrible translation of SBA. I think it was, yeah. It's Statistics Sweden. Statistics Sweden, there yep. you go. Yeah, but when you have that data, and that's what I like about you working with data, mm-hmm. because I get all the benefits of you having the data. Mm. Uh, you can do some interesting stuff when you start to combine your own data with the publicly available data, and you can draw some quite interesting conclusions from that. You can, and all of these pieces of data are available as um, Excel files, yeah. and there is nothing to, to to keep you from choosing the data you want, putting it into an Excel file, and then doing the Power BI magic. Yep. But the issue there is that it's not going to be updated. Nope. If you attach to the API it's always going to be updated. Yep. So I learned something while being in Scotland. Do tell. Apart from that I found the second beer in my life that made me cry. In a good way. In a good way. In okay. a good way. Uh, I attended a session at the Glasgow uh, Asher User Group. The GAUG. GAUG, exactly. Um, where Microsoft and Servant had a reference case. Uh, with one of the customers, they are moving from DXE to Azure. Mm-hmm. And during that session, they said something that I wasn't aware of, which could be a game changer for many organizations out there still running Server twin, uh, 2008 and SQL 2008. Ah, right. And just to give you a bit of background, um, the extended support for SQL Server 2008 and 2008R2 will end on July 9th, 2019. Yep, so less than a year. Yeah, and the extended support for Windows Server 2008 and 2008R2 will end on January 14th, 2020. So it's yep. a few months more. Mm-hmm. However, many organizations out there are sitting on a huge amount of 2008 servers and SQL databases. Yep. And if you want to keep running those in your own data center after those support dates end, you will have to pay a fairly high amount of money. Yeah, a small fortune. That's usually the case. If you want support, that is. Yeah. You don't have to pay anything if you don't care about the support. Exactly. Uh, But now you have another option. Mm -hmm. Because you have the opportunity to migrate your 2008 and 2008 R2 to Azure. 
and get extended security updates for free for three more years. Really? And that's the the Azure IaaS yeah, solution? Yeah, exactly. So v, uh, VMs running? Yep. Cool. Uh, so, and you can even use the hybrid benefits, Ooh, licensing nice. hybrid benefits with that. So if you already have paid uh, for your server licenses and you migrate them to Azure, yep. you actually get a discount on the virtual machines because included in that price yep. is usually yep. a Windows license. Yep. So you can use your hybrid benefits. You can move your existing 2008, 2008 R2 SQL and Windows servers to Azure and get extended support for free, enabling you to run them for a couple of more years so you don't need to rush to migrate them. Saying that, if you're running server 2008 or R2, and the same for SQL, migrate away from that. Sure, and that's... We're kind of spoiled up here in, in the Nordics, actually, because we are very, very quick on the uptake when it comes yep. to new technology. We are we're usually quite surprised when someone comes drag dragging with an old version. Yep. I just a couple of months ago, I was asked to take a look at a database, an Oracle database in that case, from the late 90s, because they could not find anyone who had ever seen the darn thing. <laughs> and that's, interestingly, the, the, um, the Oracle version that I started to work oh. with. So I had to dig around quite deep in my head to find how the darn thing worked, but yep. it's it's very, very rare. Yep. And these days, it's kind of rare for me to see a 2008 R2. It's starting to become less uh, normal to see 2012. Yeah. I would say that it's probably more common to see a SQL 2008 on rather a, than a server. Yeah, on, on a server 2012. Yeah. Definitely. Um, speaking of that, the last session at the tech... Uh, UG user mm -hmm. group yesterday where I spoke uh, a guy from VMware were there and uh, had a talk about the news in VMware vSphere 6.5 and 6.7 mm -hmm. and he actually had a colleague that just a couple of months ago did a migration of an NT4 server really? physical to virtual they didn't upgrade it they virtualized <laughs> The physical NT4 machine. I've, I've seen that before in very specific cases. Yeah. And they had to drop the CPU thresholds because when an NT4 machine gets a Xeon CPU with 3 gigahertz, it just oh dear. drops. Oh dear. So they had to put down the thresholds for the CPU to 300 megahertz to make it run. <laughs> this is this kind of reminds me of, of old old games that run based on the base clock for the yep. CPU. That turned out to be quite interesting to try to run them on modern machines. Yep. Oh dear! And th this is probably ten years ago. Yeah, but this was just a few months ago. Wow. Yeah. So, anyways, if you have old servers, migrate from them. Mm -hmm. If you need help doing that, reach out to Alexander <laughs> first of all for the SQL parts. Yeah. Uh, and you can always explore other ways. You don't need to migrate to a newer operating system. You can migrate to PaaS as well. 
you can in some and cases. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. The the and of course you have the middle ground these days with the managed instance. Yeah, the SQL Server managed instance of Azure. Yeah, but, but if you need a bit more time, you have the opportunity to migrate your virtual machines to Azure and get extended support. Yep, much more cheaply than than yep. staying on on definitely. So moving on, we can just quickly sum up what I've done for the last two days. I mm -hmm. attended the Glasgow Azure User Group, mm -hmm. uh, which again was a pleasure. Uh, always good to be there. They had their, a reference case of a huge Azure customer. Yeah, you tweeted me some numbers that I thought that yeah, he's he's dreaming. No, uh, they actually, I believe they said they are now the second largest. No, the top one of the top ten largest Azure consumption customers in the UK, which is probably pretty big. Yeah, um, it's they are now looking into uh, deploying a SAP HANA oh, yeah. environment with three thousand cores. An SAP HANA solution with three thousand cores. Yeah, that's going to cost you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the we're not supposed to talk about numbers, but the numbers, the, the amount of money they are pouring into that solution is absolutely astonishing. But it works. They are pleased with it. And they had a, a reference case at the Tech UG, a much smaller one, mm -hmm. which said the exact same thing. He wasn't allowed to share the numbers of how much consumption they had. Right. But he also stated point, time over time, how pleased their users and especially the developers are with the environments they're getting. Um, so that's that That was really good. Um, and I then attended the Tech UG where I had a session on Windows Analytics, mm -hmm. which went very well. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm pleased with it. And it, it's good, it's fun to talk about something that's actually free because everyone, yeah. regardless yeah. of size, yeah. can go home and actually get a benefit from it. Uh, so I had the opportunity to talk a bit about privacy, and automation uh, using Windows Analytics. Right. And that session in full, because I had only a 40-minute session now, but I will have a full 60-minute session on that oh, during right, Tech Days. Right. Is it the same session at Tech Days? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Time for something small. Time for something small, he says. Uh, a couple of days ago, the Enterprise Mobility blog uh, made a blog post mm -hmm. and the Azure Authenticator uh, is now available on Apple Watch. So you actually have a use case for the <laughs> Apple Watch. No, seriously, I bought this. You, you, yeah, you bought one. I did. I did when we, that was at Ignite two yeah, years in, ago in, in Atlanta. Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. I went to and from the darn mall, I think it was six times because I bought the wrong watch and yeah, yeah, that, that's a whole different story. But the thing is, I cannot for the life of me find a viable use case for the thing. I'm sorry, but the screen is just too small. It is slow as molasses and that's the the Series 2, I think two, it's called. Yeah. And yeah. My wife has a, a Series 3 now, mm -hmm. and that's a real improvement, I would say. Okay. Uh, and she absolutely loves it. Mind, she's an Apple geek. 
I yeah, don't, I, I don't know what I did wrong, but um, no, that's that's kind of funny actually. Yeah. But focusing on mm. the app, I think this is a really good improvement because now you're enabling yourself not to, you're not forced to take up your phone, no. open it, yeah, yeah. authenticate. You have it on your wrist, yep, which I find really useful um, and easy to use, and it makes a multi-factor authentication request so much easier to approve. Yeah. Um, That's the kind of experience that I want with the MFA. It yeah. ta- takes away all the uh, clunkiness of having to f- fish in your pocket for your phone and yeah. stuff. So yeah, go for so it. So it's a small new a small new thing, but it's moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, good. Um we usually talk a lot about enterprise features. Yeah, we do. But we wanted to share something for all you Office 365 personal and home users out there. Which, incidentally, you and I are. We are not. We aren't? <laughs> I, I run E3. You do? <laughs> of course I do. Dude. <laughs> okay. Revision. Uh, I am. Yeah. Actually, I'm running E5. Never mind. Um, so now, previously, you had a device limit mm-hmm. of 10 devices in total divided across five users. Right. When you had a personal or home license of Office 365. Mm-hmm. Starting October 2nd, so after Ignite, mind. Yep. Um, they may be introducing new things at Ignite. Really? Yeah. Uh, subscribers can install Office on an unlimited number of devices uh, and be signed in into their accounts on up to five of those devices at the same time. Yep. Um, I guess there's a use case for it. Um, sure. I mean, I have a shitload of computers. Yep. And I need Office on pretty much all of them. Yep. So in and my iPads case... and iPhones and... Yes other kinds of devices. Yep. Which is a good thing. And you also get one more user mm-hmm. included in the license. So from five now up to six users right. from one subscription. That's kind of cool. Yep. Um, I think it's 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 good that they're actually adding things to it. And they won't uh, have a higher price. It's the same price, same subscription model, but you get more. Yep. I think that's that's really good and nice and shows that they are not only about earning more money. No, it kind of reminds me of, of a pretty small blog post that came out a couple of, I think it was a year or two, two ago, that basically just said, yeah, uh, all of our Azure SQL database uh, SKUs, if you have um, an S4, it is as of now equivalent to double the speed. Yep. No, no price change, just giving you more horsepower. Yeah, yeah, have a good one. Yep, great. And that's that's kind of cool. That's yep. the, the things that happen in the cloud. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and as always, or close to every week, we get oh, yeah. a bunch of new features it's in Intune. Intune time. It's Intune time. Intune in time. There we have the, the name of this episode, Intune in time. <laughs> that, that's a brilliant name. Uh, and it's a huge release this week. Really? Yep. Uh, I 
I believe it, it's actually like 40 new features. How many? 40. 40 At new least. features, wow. Uh, so I'll pick a few. Mm -hmm. um, one thing, when I did my Pluralsight courses, mm -hmm. or the last Pluralsight course, right. one of the challenges you really have with iOS devices has been the lack of ability to control when software updates are pushed to iOS devices. Okay. You haven't been able to control that, which in a huge environment, so for example, a school, Right. Our local municipality have, I think it's 15,000 iPads. Right. And 3,000 Apple TVs deployed. Okay. Over Wi-Fi. Yep. Uh, so that's a challenge. Right. But since iOS, what's the iOS version out now? 11. Mm. Yeah, 11.3. You're able to control that from, from a management tool. Mm -hmm. And now that's available in Intune. So you're able to defer an upgrade or an update for... Uh, one to 90 days before it's even shown on the device, Ooh, which is nice. nice. And you can then control how it rolls out to your devices. Yep. You also have control S mode on Windows 10 and later devices. So you're now able to centrally control whether um, a device running, and this is interesting, Windows 10 18.09, which isn't released yet. No. Uh, if they are in in or out of S mode. Oh, right, right. Which enables you to buy a device that's in S mode when you pull it out of the box and enable the full OS, which we can have a discussion on, on a, another podcast, if that's a good thing or not. Well, I'd, I'd say it depends on the use case. Yeah. Oh, this is actually a the best feature so far. Require users to connect during device setup when using autopilot. Previously, if you were using autopilot and you didn't have an internet connection, you weren't able to... Um, you, you were able to continue past that part of the out-of-box experience, basically ignoring the requirement to enroll. Oops. I have no clue how this works but you're now able to i'll read straight from the blog post you can now set device profiles to require that the device connects to a network before proceeding past the network page during windows 10 setup while this feature is in preview of windows insider build 1809 or later is required to use this setting but i have no clue on how they enforce that hmm that should be interesting to look out. into. Yeah, yep. I'll, I'll ask Per. Yep. Um, and a lot of improvements to autopilot. You can specify different templates for how to name a device with autopilot. Um, a bunch of improvements to iOS. Um, yeah, and company portal improvements. So a huge number of great improvements coming up and we'll probably hear a lot about them at ignite cool yep uh so what's upcoming what's on the agenda mm, not very much for me next week i'm gonna have a very very interesting discussion with um, managers from a municipality in, in southern sweden yep we're basically going to go, this is data that is publicly available. 
how can you use this data for your quality work in the schools in this municipality? Yep. And so putting data to use. Pretty much putting data to use, yeah. And the point here is to show them that you pretty much have all the tools you need to get the information you are required to have but still don't have a clue how to get. Yep. So it's, it's going to be a workshop and it's going to be a, a discussion about the value of data, the uh, importance of quality in data, and what we can do for them. Yep. So I'm very, very much looking forward to that, yep. despite having to go there by train. <laughs> yep. Uh, I have a number of discussions, uh, a large workshop on Windows as a service um, with a multinational uh, company, a uh, bunch of discussions around activity-based workplaces, and so on. So a lot to do. Uh, and I'm also helping out with the service hub first thing next Monday. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that will get, I will also be preparing for um, my trip to the UK in two weeks. So I'm going back to the EvolveConf in Birmingham on Monday, speaking at the Cloud Infrastructure Use Group Monday evening. Right. Meeting with one of our partners on Tuesday and speaking at the Tech UG in Manchester on Thursday. Cool. Manchester's a great city. Yeah. And we also have a bunch of things to sort out prior to Ignite. Oh, we do. Yeah. We do. But we have started to receive some of the uh, fun stuff that is going to accompany us to... Yeah, definitely. We, we, let, let's just put it this way. The uh, amount of toys have um, increased exponentially. Yep. And the amount of black uh, holes in our wallets have increased in the same speed. Yeah, and mine, it's black holes, not a black hole. No, uh, mine's a black hole, but it is constantly expanding. I think that's the thing with black holes, right? Most of the time, yeah. They, yeah. they consume pretty much everything they see yeah. and hear. We'll be back in a week or so. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Bye.